you're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Our scripture passage comes from John chapter 16. And if you would open your Bibles with me, I will read it. This morning, Pastor Joel from South Canyon will be bringing and preaching the word to us. And he's been at South Canyon now for two years? Almost two years. And so South Canyon was the church that is planting Redeeming Grace, and so it's a privilege to continue to partner with them, and we're glad to have Pastor Joel here to deliver God's word to us. So if you would join me now in reading from John chapter 16. Hear the word of the Lord. But now I, Jesus, am going to him, the Father who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the world because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare to you. A little while, and you will see me no longer, and again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father... So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that you will ask the Father on your, be- on your behalf, that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. 
Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming indeed. It has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's uh, it's really a, a joy to uh, be able to to be with with you with Redeeming Grace Church this morning to worship with you. Um, I bring greetings from South Canyon Baptist Church and uh, just want to express how much um, the pastors and really the whole the whole church um, at South Canyon just we appreciate uh, and are so thankful for. For Pastor Josh and for uh, just this whole church body, and we we often pray for for you as as pastors and as staff, and in our Sunday evening prayer services um, on a very regular basis. So just so uh, rejoicing with you, and and it's just great to be able to see what God is doing here. Well, we are going to be this morning going through um, most of John chapter sixteen. And as, as we just saw, yeah, as it was read, this is where Jesus is teaching his disciples and sharing a lot of important things because he knows that he's going to be leaving them very soon. And actually, all this teaching, uh, there's a lot of teaching in this section of John. Um, it began really all the way back in chapter 13 um, when he and the disciples were first gathering in the upper room and, and beginning with Jesus washing his disciples' feet and teaching them through that action and through that kind of uh, picture. And it's continued all the way through chapter 14, where Jesus has, has taught that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And he's promised um, for the first time back there to, to, to send a helper, the spirit of truth. And then it's continued through chapter 15, where Jesus teaches his disciples about abiding in him as a branch abides in the vine. Uh, and then also beginning to warn his disciples that persecution is coming. Uh, and again, that continues into chapter 16. Uh, one reality that I think is really uh, often on display in this entire upper room discourse and, uh, and we see it on display in chapter 16, is the disciples were really struggling uh, so, so often to understand many of the things that Jesus is telling them. Um, and certainly one of the big ones is just surrounding his death and the resurrection and, and struggling to, to accept that, to understand it, almost perhaps seeming to be in denial. Um, but in spite of their struggle, in spite of the, um, the frequent confusion uh, Jesus still needs to say these things. He still needs uh, to have this on the record. Uh, he needs to prepare them for what is about to happen. And he even explains at times, when it does happen, you'll remember that I said this. And he wants them to know that, to know this is not unexpected, uh, to know that he, uh, is, um, that he was prepared, that he had a plan, and they, they can know and be prepared but a big reason that Jesus needs to prepare them is that persecution is coming. Uh, not only Jesus being arrested and put to death, uh, but persecution for the disciples over the coming uh, you know, weeks and months, they are going to be persecuted as well. Um, and Jesus began to talk about that in chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16, which I know Justin um, dealt with, with that in, in last week. Last week's sermon. Uh, but Jesus wants to, as I said, to protect the disciples by letting them know all these things before they happen. So if we look at, at verses 1 and 2, Jesus' words are, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. So there, these are serious trials that are coming, and Jesus tells them now in order to keep the disciples from falling away. He wants them to be ready, uh, and he also wants them to know and to understand the opposition they're going to face 
uh, isn't about them. Be there, chapter 16, he says, they'll do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. And really, this is quite remarkable, uh, this statement here. Jesus is saying that those who persecute his disciples, uh, it's because they oppose and reject Jesus. And they oppose and reject Jesus because they do not know and have never known God the Father. Uh, And that's really a stunning claim. Uh, It's a stunning claim in Jesus' Jewish context, the idea that these these Jewish leaders, religious leaders, persecuting and seeking to to kill Jesus um, and then going on to persecute his disciples. Uh, They do this because they have not known the Father. That's a stunning claim, and it's a stunning claim for us today in our modern context. Those who oppose Christianity, those who persecute God's people, the disciples of Jesus, they do not know God himself, and just period, full stop. But clearly, persecution is coming for Jesus' disciples, and and as he's been telling them, he is leaving them. He's going to be betrayed, he's going to die, and so they need to be encouraged and strengthened, uh, and they need to to take heart, using the words uh, Jesus uses later on in this chapter. And so really, through the rest of chapter 16, Jesus is is shepherding them and caring for them through his teaching uh, and giving them uh, reasons to take heart, to be uh, encouraged and comforted. And so the the main idea, the main point of uh, this remaining uh, verses of chapter 16 uh, would be this, take heart because Jesus sends the helper, Jesus reverses our sorrow and Jesus is the victor. So again, uh, and if you're, if you're taking any notes, um, this is kind of my, my outline here too. But take heart because Jesus sends the helper, Jesus reverses our sorrow, and Jesus is the victor. And so first of all, take heart because Jesus sends the helper. Uh, so just looking back at the end of verse 4 here, I'm going to read uh, just this portion of the chapter. Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the disciples are filled with sorrow because Jesus is leaving. Uh, and certainly, I think we can, can relate and sympathize with them here. You know, they've left everything behind to follow Jesus. And they've been traveling with him all this time, ministering with him, uh, going through all kinds of experiences and ups and downs. And, and being with Jesus and following Jesus, hearing Jesus, had completely changed their lives. And so, of course, to hear that he is leaving is devastating news. And yet, Jesus says here, it is to their advantage that he go away. Because if he doesn't go away, the helper will not come. And notice here, Jesus doesn't say that, well, it's, it's to, to my advantage that I leave you. Or that it's, it's to the advantage of, of my mission. But he says it's to their advantage. Because he will send the helper. And so this just demonstrates and really reminds us of how crucial the Holy Spirit is for the believer. And of course, for one thing, it's because when Jesus was physically here on earth, he could be with some of his followers 
some of the time, but he could not be uh, with, with all of his followers all of the time. Uh, and we see this throughout the Gospels. Um, if, if you remember, even among the 12 disciples, these 12 hand-picked men that were traveling around with Jesus, uh, often Jesus would choose only Peter, James, and John to go with him. Uh, for instance, the transfiguration or when he goes to pray in the garden um, right before his arrest. Uh, and yet the Holy Spirit would be present with Jesus' followers all the time, all around the world and without interruption. And of course, this sending of the Holy Spirit uh, is something that was promised throughout the Old Testament, throughout the prophets, uh, as part of God's promised new covenant. And we heard that read earlier in Jeremiah. Um, We see it also in Joel chapter 2, in Ezekiel 36, uh, in, uh, in Isaiah, uh, in many places, but one of them would be Isaiah 44, uh, verses 3 and 4. And there, um, the prophecy is this, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams." Uh, and just such a beautiful picture there of, of water and of new life and of, and of growth um, coming about uh, in, the, in the dry ground uh, because of the coming of the Spirit. Now, this promise was going to be realized now as Jesus inaugurated the new covenant uh, through his blood, his blood shed at the cross. And so this, this Spirit was going to come uh, to lead and empower and guide Jesus' disciples and to enable them to remember his teaching, uh, as, he, as he told them back in uh, John 14, 26, to be able to, to bear witness to him, to testify, uh, as he mentioned in, back in chapter 15, 27, and then also to convict the world, uh, which is what he talks about here in John 16. So how does the Holy Spirit uh, convict the world, and what, what does that mean? Well, The Spirit convicts uh, the unbelieving world, the world uh, standing for um, those that oppose Jesus. And he convicts the world about three things. The first one is salvation. He convicts the world of their need for salvation. Um, And this, this is through convicting them of their sin of unbelief. Um, It says uh, there in in verse 8, Uh, actually verse 9, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So he convicts of sin, in particular in relation to uh, their unbelief. They do not believe in Jesus. And by rejecting God's one and only Son, they are rejecting God himself. Uh, So so the Spirit convicts of sin. Uh, The Spirit also convicts the world uh, concerning righteousness. And I think particularly here, convicting the world of their false standards of righteousness. The Spirit is not convicting the world that they are righteous, right? That's, that's, not, that's not what the world uh, needs to know, and it's not, it's not true. Um, but they have false standards of righteousness. Uh, number one, in regard to Jesus, they declared Jesus to be sinful, to be unrighteous. Uh, even in John, John 9, 24, um, the, the Pharisees said, we know this man is a sinner uh, to the, the man who had been born blind. And yet at the same time, uh, these same leaders, these same Jewish leaders felt secure in their own self-righteousness. And so this was completely backwards, completely upside down. In fact, it's Jesus' righteousness that's the only true righteousness and the only hope for salvation. And then third and finally, uh, the Spirit convicts the world regarding judgment. And again, their false judgments... uh, regarding Jesus, their judgment of him. Uh, in John seven twenty four, uh, Jesus said to them, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Um, but they had judged him falsely, uh, and these, these false judgments, these lies, uh, they flow from the devil, who, of course, is the father of lies, uh, Jesus said in, in John eight forty four, And yet now, through Jesus' coming victory, through his death and resurrection, 
the ruler of this world, uh, the devil, the father of lies, is now going to be judged and condemned and shown for what he is. Now, in all this work of conviction, the Spirit's work of conviction, uh, there's also mercy. Um, Because even though there will be some who will, will harden their hearts against this conviction, and as the Holy Spirit, through God's Word and through Jesus' disciples, as this message is proclaimed and, and, and convicts the world regarding their sin of unbelief and their false righteousness and their false judgments, some will harden their hearts and will reject that message and will stand condemned. But for others, the Spirit's conviction will lead to repentance and to salvation. And so this is, this is the beauty of the gospel, that if someone who is, who is the world, who is part of the world, is convicted by the Holy Spirit and repents, then they stop being the world. They're no longer the world. Now they are part of Christ's kingdom. Now Jesus also tells the disciples uh, here that there there are many other things that they're just not ready to hear yet, Uh, but the Spirit will guide them into all the truth. After Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension to heaven, the Spirit would interpret and guide them in understanding those events uh, that, that I just mentioned and just understanding the gospel as a whole. And this is really a very relevant and a significant point for us, that the gospel truth that we learn throughout the entirety of our New Testament, that this comes directly through Jesus Christ who sent the Holy Spirit to lead his disciples into all the truth. And so what that means for us is let's not ever try to pit, pit Paul against John and say, well, you know, Paul's just so focused on logic and on, on legal arguments and, and John is just all about love. Right? Or, or don't try to pit Paul against James as, as some throughout church history have been tempted to do. You say, you know, Paul's all about faith and, and grace and, and James is about works. No, don't, don't pit these, these New Testament authors against one another. Because the truth that we find in the pages of our New Testament, this is directly from Jesus through the Helper, through the Holy Spirit that he sent. And so we can, we can trust it, we can rely on it fully, we can build our lives on that truth and let it shape us and fashion us. And, and brothers and sisters, I hope also that we can that we can see, as we consider uh, the words of Jesus here, what a mistake it is also to, to somehow put the Word and the Spirit at odds with one another. Because it's, it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that we have God's Word. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the, the Spirit spoke uh, through men, we're told. So, so we can trust the Word because it comes to us from the Spirit sent by Jesus. Now, on the other hand, if you're, if you're more of a, a word and, and a doctrine, theology uh, person, don't neglect the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Because no one is saved apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. No one understands Scripture, and no one grows apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, of course, we don't, we don't fixate on the Holy Spirit at the neglect of the gospel or in the neglect of the scripture, but we should pray for him and seek for him to illuminate God's word to us and to empower us to obey it and pray for him to to cause the gospel to produce fruit in your life and in the life of this church and and in the world. So as Jesus' disciples, we should take heart, we should be encouraged because Jesus sends the helper for us. He promised the disciples that he was going to send the helper, and he has. Now, second, we can take heart because Jesus reverses our sorrow. So if we look back again at verse 16, Jesus says to the disciples, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, 
So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So what is this little while that's coming that when they will no longer see Jesus? Well, that is going to be when he is put to death on a Roman cross and laid to rest in a borrowed grave, as we were singing earlier in the first song. But then what's this again a little while when they will see him? Well, that's after the resurrection, when he's, he's raised to life and he appears to Mary Magdalene and then to the rest of the disciples. So it's Jesus' death that is the reason for, for weeping and lament that is about to come. And even as the disciples grieve, the world will rejoice because they, because they hated Jesus and they believe that they've defeated him. And it's Jesus' resurrection that's the reason for the disciples' sorrow being turned into joy. You know, the very thing that everyone fears the most, uh, the most devastating loss, the, the violent and shameful death of their, their friend and their master, that is going to be completely transformed through the resurrection. In, in an amazing, ironic twist, through his death, Christ defeats death. As one song uh, puts it, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. And the comparison is made here to the pain and distress of a woman in childbirth. Now for the, the disciples, Jesus' arrest and crucifixion will be particularly distressing because, as we've said, they're confused. They don't truly understand what is happening. But even for Jesus himself, even, even knowing that he must go through with this in order to fulfill the mission that he and the Father have purposed together, in order to ransom a people for God's glory, even knowing that he is going to be vindicated and he's going to rise again from the dead, knowing all of that, still in the midst of the labor pains, in the midst of the, the sorrow, there must have been moments of feeling overwhelmed, a sense of dread, especially as he anticipated and then experienced the reality of God's wrath being poured out on him. So we can relate to this idea of, of the pain of childbirth approaching and, and becoming overwhelming and consuming. And yet, uh, Hebrews 12 Verse 2 reminds us of Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus came out on the other side of that anguish, that sorrow, the labor pains, and the joy of having completed this mission, the joy of having accomplished our salvation, the joy of having delivered God's people from captivity to sin and death, this joy eclipsed all of the pain and the sorrow. And once his disciples saw him again after the resurrection, they also gained a deep and an abiding joy that no one could take from them. Because Jesus is alive, everything has changed. Death has been reversed, Satan has been crushed, all the promises of God now find their fulfillment in what Jesus has done, find their, their yes and amen in him. And so, friend, if you're here this morning 
and you're not a believer, or, or perhaps you just aren't sure yet whether you believe in Jesus, uh, first of all, I'm just so glad that you're here. I hope uh, that you will think on and consider this morning uh, what you've heard. This Jesus uh, that we're hearing about, this Jesus that we're looking at, he was the Son of God, God who took on our human flesh to dwell among us. He was sent to reverse the sorrow of our broken and sinful existence, to end our isolation and our estrangement from God. He was sent to take the curse and the penalty for our sin upon himself, bearing it on the cross on our behalf. And so now through his death, his atoning death, everyone who believes in Jesus will receive eternal life. And just as he said, just as he told his disciples, he rose from the dead after three days, thus proving he was God's son and demonstrating his victory over sin and death. And so sorrow is turned to joy because Jesus is risen. And he now offers salvation to all who would come to him, who would lay down their sinful rebellion and trust in him alone. And if that's something that you'd like to learn more about, I know that someone here would, would love to, to discuss that with you. It might be the person who invited you here today um, or one of the people you've, you've seen uh, up front here or just any one of us would, be, would really be so happy to talk with you, to pray with you, uh, perhaps meet with you. Now, Christian, uh, as we consider this truth, as we consider Jesus turning our sorrow into joy, uh, we need to be reminded that the same reversal, this reversal of sorrow that the disciples experienced after the resurrection, that same abiding joy belongs to us now, today. We know with absolute confidence that the sorrow and the labor pains that we experience in this life will lead to joy because we look to Jesus, because his path of suffering and death led to resurrection and led to glory. The pain of childbirth led to the joy of a new life. And, and then there's, there's kind of an, an already not yet aspect to this, um, as is so often true within the kingdom of God. This joy is already ours today because Christ has been raised. Death has lost its sting. We have forgiveness and reconciliation with God and peace with God. And yet we also look ahead to the full and the final realization of our joy. We look ahead to that one day when all pain and sorrow will be eclipsed by joy and peace. And when we'll reach our final destination at last and have new resurrection bodies on a new heavens and a new earth where God dwells with his people and wipes the tears from every eye. But in the meantime, until that day, as, as we live in this tension of, of already having joy and looking forward to a greater, fuller joy, in the meantime, Jesus teaches us to pray. Uh, and, and, and Justin mentioned this earlier, but Jesus is so set on, on exhorting and teaching and challenging his disciples to pray. Uh, and so in, verses, in verse 23, he says to them, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So as believers, we have access to the Father. And so we can bring our requests to him, praying in Jesus' name. And what that means is praying in alignment and in harmony with, with who Jesus is and everything that he stands for. Time and time again in this upper room discourse, Jesus has said to the disciples, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Um, that's in, in chapter 14, verse 13, in chapter 15, verse 16, and again here in chapter 16. Jesus, he really wants us to pray. And what's the reason for that? Why why is this so important? Why does he want to emphasize this to his disciples? Well, number one, it's because God responds to our prayers. What Jesus says here, and sometimes we have a hard time hearing it and, and 
comprehending and accepting it, but what we ask in Jesus' name, he will do, he will give, he will respond. And number two, it's that our prayers will lead to greater joy. As we spend this time with God in prayer, both uh, privately and personally, individually, but also as a church, um, how, how wonderful and valuable it is when as a church body, you're bringing your requests uh, to the Lord um, as, as happened earlier this morning and, and happens also in, in smaller meetings and gatherings. Corporate prayer um, is, is a huge part of this, but both corporately and individually, as we spend this time with God in prayer and as we, we shape and form our will to better align with his will, and then as we see him respond and we see him answer our prayers, we will gain a deeper joy. This is what Jesus has promised. And, you know, as I considered these two reasons, these two promises of Jesus about prayer, you know, personally, it just made me feel, my goodness, like, why would I not pray more? Uh, and so, because it just it would make no sense to, to hear these promises from Jesus and yet uh, to do nothing. But again, let's not, let's not attempt to be uh, beaten over the heads out of guilt or out of duty, but let's take Jesus' words uh, as our motivation. Let's pray more for the sake of joy. And then third and finally, we can take heart because Jesus is the victor. So looking at verse 25 here, this, clo- this closing section, Jesus says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will, not ask, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. For the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I think we can just find so much encouragement here in this, these closing verses. Jesus has spoken to his disciples using figures of speech. Uh, you know, I think things like saying, I'm going away to him who sent me. Um, not just, not just saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified. Um, using the, the figure of speech of a woman in childbirth. And he's done this because they're unable to grasp all that is about to take place. They don't understand why Jesus has to die. And he tells them about a time in the future, after the resurrection, when he will speak plainly. Uh, and, and the disciples misunderstand him and think that this time is already here. It's already arrived. And so they say, you know, now you're speaking plainly, not using figurative speech. And now we believe that you came from God. Uh, They're eager and they're overconfident in their own understanding, their own abilities. And yet Jesus, he knows that they're about to scatter and abandon him. But, but even in spite of their misunderstanding and despite of their weakness, we see here two ways that Jesus very gently and lovingly encourages them. And the first one is where he says, he tells them uh, there in verse 27, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Now, those, those disciples there in the upper room with Jesus and, and this group of disciples here at Redeeming Grace Church, we do not earn or merit the Father's love through uh, 
the, the reality or the, the strength of our love and our faith. No, faith, faith is a gift. And the only reason we love is because God loved us first and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Augustine uh, wrote about this, uh, and he, he said, uh, God would not have wrought, meaning God would not have produced in us something he could love were it not that he loved ourselves before he wrought it. God would not have produced in us, would not have wrought in us something he could love were it not that he loved ourselves before he wrought it. The Father loved them. And so he produced faith and love in them. So our faith in Jesus, our love for Jesus, uh, is an evidence of the Father's love. And it's, it's a consequence of his love. He loved us first. But it's, it's remarkable that Jesus would say, the Father himself loves you. You have access uh, to him you don't even need me to ask on your behalf. And then number two, he tells the disciples at the very end here, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The disciples were going to fail Jesus. They were going to leave him in his darkest hour without any human support or companionship. And if you're anything like me, you often can feel that same sense of, of weakness, of failure, of letting down your Savior and your friend. Whether it's in the face of tribulation or persecution, or whether it's in the face of temptation. And yet our failure and our weakness cannot negate Christ's victory. He offers us peace, and he encourages us to take heart, for he has overcome the world. He is the victor, even as, he, as he's about to walk to his death. And what might appear to be defeat is in fact his hour of triumph. And because Jesus has overcome the world, now his triumph is ours as well. If we are in Christ, we share in his victory. And so, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gospel of John and just the amazing, the incredible picture that it gives us of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, that we should believe in him, that we should put our faith in him and be saved. We thank you that you loved us and that Jesus loved us and that because of that love, we can enter into his victory, his triumph. Our sorrows can be turned to joy because and only because of Jesus and what he has done. And so we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us in worship again.
have a seat for just a moment. I'll have Joel come up and uh, we'd like to take a few minutes just to do some Q&A on the message or whatever might on, be on your mind. You can just stand over here, Joel. and Yeah, yeah that way the live stream can pick you up. So uh, yeah, so thanks, Joel, for coming over and, uh, and preaching the word to us today. I have a couple questions and then uh, we'll open it up for any questions that you guys might have out, uh, out there. So um, okay, here's, here's one for you. I got a couple. He talks about, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, this is verse 23 of 16, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in the Father, ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Um, that seems like pretty much, you can, like, whatever means whatever, like, you can ask whatever you want and he will grant it, like, what, how are we supposed to understand that? Because obviously we know, and we all have experiences of praying things that we didn't get, how are we supposed to make sense of that? Sure. Yeah, well, I th think that, um, you know, asking for something in Jesus' name doesn't just mean we pray a little prayer and then say in Jesus' name at the end, though it's good to say that, uh, but having to do with his name, who he is, his purposes, his will, and, uh, and so the things that we ask um, that are in alignment with who Jesus is and his, and with His will, that God will will give those. Now, even then, of course, there I think there can be a mystery sometimes where we think, you know, I wanted, you know, I want this person to be saved now, or I want I want to see revival, you know, right now, and and God may not answer that the way that we would like, or may, maybe not in the timing that we would like to see, and and so, even then, there may be things that are clearly, in one sense, in accordance with God's will. But perhaps, you know, for his own reasons, the timing may not look, the results may not look exactly like what we would. And, and so, like Jesus even prayed, you know, not, not my will, but yours be done. That would be at least the beginning of what yeah. I would say. Yeah, it's kind of a trick question in some ways. It's because we don't always know the purposes of God. And if he just said yes to every prayer we prayed in Jesus' name, <laughs> that would not be a good thing. Because we don't know what he knows, right? So... In his name, meaning for his honor, for his glory, for his purposes, pray, and God loves to actually incorporate our prayers into the accomplishment of his mission. So we pray according to his will, according to his name. So, yeah, good. That was kind of an unanswerable question in some ways. We know what it doesn't mean, but what exactly it does mean is not 
entirely clear in each situation. So, is there any questions out here? All right, Stephen. I'm trying to think of how to restate that. Um, so grace and faith is a gift from God. So asking in faith or asking without faith? Either way? What, far, what part does that gift of faith play in our praying? Okay. Is, is praying actually a lack of faith? Is that what you're saying? I'm trying to triangulate your question. Do you get it? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not take sure. A stab, let's I'm not let him sure. take a stab at it, yeah. and then you can see if he's, you can ask a follow-up. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I mean, I, again, it, there may be, I may be missing a, a connection there. But yeah, I guess I would, I would say the fact that our faith or, or, or God's grace is a gift certainly doesn't mean that, you know, we, we can certainly, you know, obey what he's commanded and, and come to him and, and ask of things. And I think the Spirit is at work in that as well. I mean, you know, the Scripture says that he puts his Spirit in our hearts that cries out, Abba, Father. You know, we can go to him and we can bring our, you know, our troubles and our, our requests to him. And that's, that's the work of the Spirit in us as well. So I guess I wouldn't see any, any sense of, you know, those things being at odds. But there may be another aspect that I'm, I'm not uh, understanding. Are you satisfied with that? Okay. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah, Justin. Yeah, sure. Oh, should I restate that? Go What's ahead. the connection between our prayer life and joy? Because they certainly seem connected here. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess I would probably just say two things. I mean, any of us, I think sometimes we can pray and just feel like, well, that didn't make me feel all that happy or <laughs> or alive. And, you know, and that's sometimes we have to persevere, right, and just do what we know, uh, what we know we should do. But, um, yeah, I mean, I do think, at least in terms of, thinking through the context of what Jesus is talking about here that, you know, as we, as we ask things according to his will and we, and we see him, you know, answer our prayers, there's, there's a joy in that because you know, he's glorified as we kind of see like, wow, he did, you know, he did the thing that we had asked for him to do. Um, and then I think just that communion, hopefully that at least as we continue in it, that we, we sense a certain communion and a certain fellowship with, with God and with, with the spirit. And I think, the third thing, which I didn't, I wasn't really, I didn't have time to get into in this sermon today, but I think there's probably a connection there when he talks about asking you will receive that your joy may be full. There's other places where he talks about asking for the Holy Spirit, you know, when he says like, the, if you ask the Father, if, if someone asks their Father for a, you know, a fish, you're not going to get a snake. And, and he's, the idea of like, the Father loves to give good gifts, and he's referring to the Holy Spirit, I think, in particular. And so that that's probably in view here as well, that like, the ultimate thing we need to ask for and the ultimate thing that God is happy to give us is going to be the Holy Spirit. And that certainly brings joy uh, to us. Okay, anything else? Adam. We don't mess around here. Let's go into the Old Testament too. You want to go back to South Canyon where it's easy. (laughs) Um, That was a joke, brother. 
do you want to restate I'll restate it, yeah. the question. Sorry, I was too busy with my jokes. Um, so, oh gosh, what was the question? What had to do with the... You restated. Verse, yeah, verse 13 in, in John 14, just talking about, um, if you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So I guess connection between the Father glorified in the Son and then the Holy Spirit I was referring to in The connection between 16. glory and joy, right? Mm-hmm. God being glorified in our joy. Yeah. I remember now. I mean, yeah, that's challenging because in the one sense, I mean, in chapter 14, he's not talking about joy. Clearly, of course, he is in, in chapter 16. So, I'm, yeah, I mean, I think all these passages where Jesus is talking about prayer, I mean, we can, they're all connected and they're all consistent with each other. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I guess there, yeah, I mean, the emphasis being more on, um, yeah, God's answers to prayers, bringing bringing God glory. Um, I guess, hopefully, for one thing, we rejoice in that. If we, you know, if we love God, we'd love to see him glorified and see Jesus glorified. Um, there may be another connection there as well. I haven't really thought through, but... I just mean the thought of John Piper's God is most glorified in us and we're most satisfied in him, right? So um, I think what that is then is like if I'm asking God in prayer for these are the things that would satisfy me, if him knowing that those really would satisfy me, he would be happy to answer those and then be glorified in my delighting in him. So uh, I don't know if that's kind of just to add another part of that Mm -hmm. is that God is glorified in us and we're most satisfied in him. I think that's right. I think that's true. So. So we can pray for the things that we think will bring us joy, knowing that God knows better than we do, and, you know, those things um, rise and fall together. So, All right, you're off the hot seat. Good job, you passed, I think. What I heard, the 10 minutes I heard, no, I live streamed it on my drive up, so... Hey, thanks for being here. This was kind of a weird Sunday in that uh, I was speaking at a youth retreat for the e-free churches in the area, and that was super fun, but it it overlapped with our service today. Uh, So thank you to all of you that kind of picked up some of the things that I normally do on a Sunday morning. And um, and then also thanks, Joel, for coming over. Um, I I think it's cool, kind of the big kingdom thing here is that um, I was able to, this church made a sacrifice to go have me serve another church. And then South Canyon made a sacrifice to have them here. And it's, it's not about any one church. It's not about any one preacher. We are here because of Jesus and his kingdom. And it's bigger than just our church. So um, we want to always be willing to help one another out. And I had a great time. And thank you, Joel. Thank you, Joel, for coming. And thank you to South Canyon for, uh, for kind of uh, uh, bearing the, uh, the most sacrifice there of this churches helping churches together. So... Uh, I'll be back next week. I'll finally get to preach. This is, I think I've had three Sundays where I haven't preached. I preached too long, and I put myself on the bench just to think about what I've done. So hopefully next week, the problem is, is I haven't preached in a month, so I might be. Anyway, we'll be in John 17, which is one of my favorite, favorite passages where Jesus prays for believers, prays for us. So we would love to have you come back. Also, what was happening today is over at the Senior Center, we were doing an outreach service project breakfast. So some of our people are over there. So just a weird Sunday where we were spread really thin. But thank you for being here. If there's some way that we can pray for you or encourage you, uh, make sure you check out our app um, uh, or the website, redeeminggrace.info. That gives you information about what's going on. You can see ways that you can get connected. Uh, You can like us on Facebook or Instagram. My business cards are back there if you want my phone number and want to call me at any time. I love getting phone calls anytime. I might even answer them. So, um, uh, So anyway, just thank you. Thank you for being here today. We really are honored that you're here. So if you'd please stand. Let me give our benediction. Just a closing blessing to you as you go. Make sure you connect with one another on the way out. There are some resources on the table if you want to check that out. A place to give if you feel inclined to give. Thanks for being here. And we'll be back at it right here next Sunday in John 17. Uh, here's our benediction. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Good, I got the slide right. Good. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen? Amen. Thanks for being here. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. 